Yeah, I love that line in that song that I will look back and remember that you've been faithful. Anybody forget things in this room? I mean, I forget a whole lot of things. And I'm just really grateful this morning that I can look back and see how God's faithfulness been in my life and that it encourages me and it strengthens me and it allows me to see his goodness. So as we sing and as we worship, these are truths that we need to allow to settle deep into our hearts because we are forgetful people. And as we continue in worship, we want to open up this time for you to just seek the Lord in prayer, just to, to come before him. We are a bunch of broken people in desperate need of a Savior. And his holiness and his sovereign hand in our lives. And so as we continue to worship, we call upon the name of Jesus in this place. This altar is going to be open. You come down in, in, in your own time. But we'll have some pastors here that want to pray over you and with you. And some, some other leaders that are going to spend some time just down here petitioning our king and, and coming before him this morning. So let's continue in this heart of worship as we come before the king.
are finding your seat. I just want to take a minute to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Chad. I have the privilege of serving as one of the young adult pastors here on staff. And we are so glad that you made a decision to be with us this morning. It's a beautiful day that God has given us. 
And I know you could have done a hundred different things, but we're so glad that you carved out time to meet with us this morning. And you will not regret it, I promise you that. Hey, if you're joining us online, we wanna welcome you and just say thank you so much for chiming in. And here's what I know about the Christ and the God that I serve is that he is not confined to one particular place. And so he is right with you where you are. But hey, if you're ever in this neck of the woods, we would love for you to join us in this place and to uh, come alongside of us and, and, and chop it up with us. Well, hey, um, we would love to have a conversation with you. There's two primary ways that we do that. One is the Next Steps desk. So there's a Next Steps card in the seat back in front of you. Uh, we would love for you to fill that out and, uh, and let us know kind of what's going on. Some of you, it's your first time here. Others of you, uh, you've been tracking with us for some time and God's doing some things in your life. That's a way for you to communicate with us. Uh, the second place is the story room. It's a place that we've uh, made out in our lobby space and I've been able to have a few conversations already this morning with people that are wrestling with different things and uh, some are wrestling with some hard things, some job loss losses and others are just saying, hey, we're getting married next week, you know? And so we'd like to hear everything in between and meet with you in the story room. The reason why we point y'all to those two places is because we see people taking their next steps and sharing their stories on a weekly basis. And it's incredible to see what God, what God is doing. And so we'd love for you to go by those two places. Well, hey, we're gonna get prepared to take our tithes and our offering. And so I just wanna invite you, if you call Abundant Life home uh, to participate in this time, there's three primary ways for you to give. You can see them up here on the screen next to me. And I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna start passing uh, those little black buckets for you to participate in that part of the service. And, uh, and then I've got one more announcement for you guys as we transition. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being a God who saves. God, we thank you that we can meet with you and we can declare what a wonderful name is the name of Christ. What a beautiful name, what a powerful name. And God, we thank you that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow and tongue confess. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to do that today. God, I pray that you would bless these tithes and these offerings, that they would go forth to advance the mission and the movement of the church. God, I ask that you would allow uh, us to participate with cheerful hearts in this opportunity to worship and help us to do that for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, before I bounce, I got one more announcement. We are sending 400 and over 450 students to a thing called One Week. And uh, yeah, so we're excited about that. And One Week is our student camp and it's gonna be awesome. And we want you guys to participate in a particular way. And so out in the lobby, there's a One Week uh, table and it has these bracelets right here, all right? Every bracelet has a name on it and every name matters to Christ. And we want you guys to begin to pray for the person that you pick up out in the lobby. There's enough bracelets for at least a few of you to get somebody and let's not leave one bracelet on that table this morning. All right, I picked up Reese's bracelet and here's what I'm praying for Reese. I'm imagining all the dysfunction that was in my life when I was a teenager. And so I'm gonna be praying like on the regular, okay? Because I had a lot of issues. And so you pick up a bracelet, you imagine what you hoped God would do in your life as a teenager and wear that bracelet and begin to pray for that teenager and ask that God would break through in their life in a profound way. Ask that God would begin to redefine some of the things that have defined them as a middle school or a high school student and pray that God would set up the next generation for them to advance the gospel like never before and you be a part of the ministry that's taking place by praying for those men and those women. Hey, we are so excited that we're getting to kick off a new series this morning as we begin the book of James. You guys turn your attention to, these, to this video.
Pack your bags, we are going on a road trip. You ready for this? We're going to the book of James. Pick up your Bible, and we're gonna study the book of James together, verse by verse, line by line. I'm so thankful to get to go on this road trip with you. I've said before, uh, I love road trips, and you know, I've said that the, the joy in a road trip is not just the destination. I mean, that's, that's, it's gonna be fun when you get there, but you gotta have some fun along the way. And the joy in a long journey are the people you're with and the things you get to see. And church, I want you to know I'm so honored that you're on this journey with me, that I get to go on this road trip of life with all of you, and we have seen some amazing things in our journey along the way, and I'm convinced greater things are yet ahead of us. And I just want you to know it's a joy and honor to be your pastor. Uh, I do enjoy a road trip. I've gotten to where I, uh, I enjoy driving more than flying. Like I came back from San Angelo, Texas a few weeks ago, and I had all types of delays and a hard time getting home. I got home about midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and I realized that I just started driving like in the morning from San Angelo. I could have been home like five hours earlier. And so I just would rather drive than fly. I enjoy road trip, and that's what we're gonna do is we take a road trip through the book of James together. Now, um, sometimes on a long journey, you get a little bit bored along the way, and you gotta make up some of your own fun to get there. And so uh, Brantley Ping and I, Brantley's on staff, and we'd gone on a mission trip, and on the mission trip, we went on a long road trip, and uh, Brantley went on this trip to be our videographer. Well, he made the mistake of falling asleep. And so I did a little videoing of my own recently. <laughs> uh, turn about fair play, Brantley. They made me do it, man. <laughs> so I just, I just show you that as we get ready to go on a road trip together, I'm just telling you, don't make the mistake of falling asleep on me. Because I can see you right now, wherever you are. And if you fall asleep on our road trip through James, you might end up up there next week, okay? I'm just telling you a fair warning. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun, though, on our road trip through the book of James, I promise you. Now, as you start out on any road trip, whether you're going on vacation or maybe just a day trip, whatever it might be, you gotta have a destination in mind. You gotta kinda know where you're going. It's kinda fun sometimes just to get in the car and not really have a plan, just kinda see where you end up. I used to do that some of my early days. We'd end up somewhere late at night with nowhere to stay. So I learned, you gotta plan some along the way. You kinda gotta know where this is going. And as you begin to study any book in the Bible, James is no different, you need to know the destination. In other words, where is the author leading us? Where does he wanna take us? And so the destination that the Apostle James is taking us today, and really for the next about two months or several weeks along the way, is that he wants to grow us to a place of maturity spiritually. That's our destiny. As we pack our bags this morning and we load up and we start taking this road trip through the book of James, he wants to take us to a place of spiritual maturity so that we start living obediently. Here's the reality, guys. Uh, we are a church that wants to teach the Bible. We're going to take you as deep as you want to go. We'll take you as far as you want to go. We're doing a verse-by-verse, line-by-line study of the book of Revelation currently, 4.30, over in the core. We call it the well because that's where we drink deeply and we go deep there. And you can maybe watch it online if you can't be there live on Sunday afternoons at 4.30. But this is what I got to tell you. James is not full of a lot of deep theology. 
James is full of really practical Christian living. You know why? Because the secret to your success in anything is the ability to do the common things uncommonly well. In other words, a lot of people are constantly searching for that new nugget of theology, that new thing. I never knew that. Wow, whoa. Listen carefully. It's not that new deep theology that you never knew before that's going to make or break you spiritually. It's not. Now, I want to go deep, and we're going to learn a lot of deep, and I want you to grow deeper scripturally so you can grow up more spiritually. But in the end, listen carefully, it is not necessarily what you learn theology that's going to grow you to a place of spiritual maturity. It is simply doing the life practically as God has told us to live practically. And that's why James is such a practical book. It's not got a lot of deep theology, but it's full of practical living and the advice he gives us for living truly abundantly. And this is why, as you study any book in the Bible, you need to look for maybe a theme verse or a theme passage that really encapsulates the whole book. And you can see this right here in James chapter 1. As we get rolling with a little intro, James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that more or less captures the whole theme of the book of James. He wants us to become doers of the word and not hearers only. Because a lot of people hear the word, they just don't do the word. Now this is really important, I'll tell you why. Because a lot of us here are what we call Bible believers, right? This church, I don't know if you realize this or not, is becoming a little bit more unique than ever in church history. I mean, churches like ours are becoming more and more of an anomaly, unfortunately. You know why? Because we believe in biblical inerrancy. That means the the Bible's without our. We believe in biblical authority. That means it's not the work of men. It is the work of God. We believe in infallibility. That means it is perfect. We believe the Bible is God's revelation for every man and every woman, for every generation. If you believe that, say amen. I am thankful I'm not alone. I am. I knew you would say that. You know why? Because we are Bible believers. But you know what James says? We got to quit just being Bible believers. We need some Bible obeyers. I mean, it's easy to say amen. Yeah, I believe the Bible. I mean, go, go, you can put a little attitude into it. I believe the Bible. Yeah, that's right. We believe it. But see, it's not enough just to believe it if we don't do it. Hey, I'm telling you, I've done this for a long time now, and I've learned there's a lot of people who say they believe the Word of God, they just don't obey the Word of God, and they wonder why they end up in the wrong destination. Listen, there are two destinations on this road trip called life, and life is like a road trip. It is a journey, and that's what the New Testament calls it, this journey of life together. And I'm going to tell you, you define your destination by setting your direction, and you set your direction with your every decision. Decision. With every decision, you're either following God or you're not following God. And when you make decisions that are not godly, it will take you to a destiny of ruin, not redemption. And so James wants us to grow up to maturity on this life journey, on this road trip we're taking together. And it's not enough simply to be a hearer of the Word of God if you're not a doer of the Word of God. It's not enough just to say, Amen, I believe the Word of God, if you don't obey the Word of God. He wants you to grow to maturity spiritually, leave behind spiritual infancy and start living truly obediently. That's how you live what Jesus called in John 10, life abundantly. Now, I thought about this this week as we get ready for this road trip and you probably have some great memories in your past too of family vacations and family road trips you took when you were little. Uh, You know, historically, the traditional vacation that I grew up with 
was uh, we would go every summer to the Midwest, middle class, vacation capital of the world, Branson, Missouri. Yeah, and we still do that. We enjoy that. It's the middle class, Midwest, vacation capital of the world. That's fun, Branson. But one summer, we did something we had never done before. We took a family road trip to Deadwood, South Dakota to see my great aunt Eleanor along the way. And this picture was taken in 1977 at the Badlands of South Dakota. And that kid with the cowboy hat's me. I'm about eight years of age. I got that cowboy hat on that trip. I was so proud of that hat, I hardly took it off. Like we were out west and we were in the cowboy culture and I was fully embracing it, right? It's one of my favorite memories of a family road trip. And it was different than that it is today. Kids today, they have it so easy, don't they? I mean, this was the day and age where there, there, there was no DVDs and minivans. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there was no iPhones with all these apps and all these games to play and keep from getting bored. These were the days of Etch-a-Sketch. You remember Etch-a-Sketch? A lot of you have no idea what Etch-a-Sketch is. Let's just say it was a very primitive toy before there was modern technology. And, you know, it helped for about 10 minutes. And after that, you were thoroughly bored. That was what I remember about this trip, and we made some stops along the way, and that was in 1977. Now, last summer, almost exactly 40 years later to the day, I stood on almost that exact same location in the Badlands of South Dakota with my own kids. And we packed up a 12-passenger van, and we took a road trip out west, and, and I made that same trip 40 years later, almost to the day, and stood in almost that same place and took this picture with my own children last summer. And I thought about this. What had changed in 40 years between the first trip and the second trip? Well, for one thing, that first road trip, I paid for nothing. The second one, I paid for everything. Uh, the first trip, I did no driving. The second trip, I did all the driving. The first trip, I did no planning. The second trip, I did all the planning. Hey, what had changed? I'll tell you what had changed. I'd grown up. I mean, in 40 years, I'd grown up. I was no longer a kid. You see, that's what happens when you grow up spiritually, all of a sudden, you're not waiting for others to pay the way. You're living a life of generosity. You're paying other people's way. When you grow up spiritually, all of a sudden, you're not waiting on others to serve you, where it's all about me and serve me and bless me. All of a sudden, you're starting to serve others too. You see, the reality is that's the destiny that James wants us to grow to a place of maturity. And I want you to see that's what changed in 40 years and hopefully, it won't take you or me another 40 years. You see, as we get ready to go to pack our bags, we got to think about maybe what not to bring. Now, on every trip, you think about what to bring, what not to bring. You know, there's some bags that some of you along this road trip of the book of James, you need to lose. I mean, honestly, uh, there's some things that you need to bring, but you don't have room to bring everything. As you think about what to pack, you only have so much room, so what are you going to bring and what are you not going to bring? And honestly, for some of us, we need to get the junk out of the trunk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't have time and you don't have space. For everything. And this is why, you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, since we're compassed about with such great a cloud of witnesses, uh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance looking unto Jesus. Here, here's the reality. Some of us need to get the junk out of the trunk. I mean, 
I don't know how long this burrito's been here. I mean, that's disgusting. You know, some of you honestly need to get the trash out of your hatch. It's disgusting, seriously. I mean, there's trash in here. You don't have room to bring everything. Somebody here has got to begin packing, but that means some of you need to unpack. Some of you got some baggage, some baggage that you picked up along the way. I'm going to tell you in the book of James, the Father is going to help you decide what packs to bring and what bags and what packs to leave behind. Uh, I'll never forget, honestly, one of those watershed moments. I'm 17, 18 years of age. It's my senior year of high school. And I'm not proud of this story, but it's true. My dad went out to change the oil in my car. And I forget, I had some stuff in the trunk. And he comes back in after changing the oil, holding a six-pack of beer. He said, son, I found this in your trunk. Do you know anything about this? You say, Phil, what did you say? I lied. <laughs> Dad, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a miracle. I don't know where it's. <laughs> hey, let's just say um, some of us might have some things in the trunk the father's going to deal with. My father dealt with some junk in the trunk that day, if you know what I'm saying. You've got a father that might be dealing with some junk in your trunk. You've got some trash in your hatch. And along the way, guess what's going to happen? God's going to deal with that in your life because he loves you so much. He wants you to live in that place of abundance. He wants you to live in that place of obedience because you can't live in abundance apart from obedience. And that's why he begins dealing with such major themes. I mean, James chapter 1, all by itself, is an amazing book. I told you, not a lot of deep theology, but really, really awesome advice practically. I mean, these are tests of maturity spiritually. Here's your destiny. How do you respond in times of trial and tribulation? That's next week. Well, how do you feel about your money? How you feel about your money is the definition of your spiritual maturity. That's the next week. And then he starts dealing with sin and temptation. And how you deal with sin and temptation is a mark of your spirituality and your maturity. And that's just chapter one. We haven't even got to chapter two. And you can begin seeing why he's writing now to me and you. Now, I want you to get rolling with me this morning as we look, get to know who James is, all right? So as you write a letter, uh, it's no different. You say, dear so-and-so. And in this case, uh, he gives us the dear so-and-so, and he tells us up front who's writing the letter. He says this in his introduction, James. A bondservant, that word is doulos, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, we're not going to get any farther than this one verse today. Because this one verse says a whole lot that we need to apply to our life. So we learn a lot. As you begin studying the word of God, you need to ask who wrote it, why did they write it, and to whom did they write it. And so what do we learn? We learn it's James who wrote it. James was the half-brother of Jesus. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and James would become an early church apostle and pillar of the early church. He's now writing this letter. We know the reason. He's wanting us to grow up to maturity spiritually. That's the destiny on this road trip we're taking through James. Now, who's he writing it to? It says, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. In other words, the Jewish followers of Jesus. In the early days of Christianity, as James is writing this sometime around 45 AD, the church is still largely Jewish. 
remember, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and that means the church was largely, in the early days, Jewish followers of the Jewish Messiah. Remember, they did not consider it leaving Judaism to become a Christian. For them, being a Christian was just a natural progression of their Judaism. And so he addresses them as the 12 tribes. Largely, these are Jewish believers. Now, it wasn't until later that the church would become largely Gentile or non-Jew. But this early letter of James, he's writing specifically to Jewish Christians. They are the ones in view, which means we need to think. And as we read and study this book, we need to think like a first century Jewish follower of Jesus as opposed to a 21st century non-Jewish follower of Jesus. Because when we think like a non-Jew, two thousand years later, we miss a whole lot of what James wants us to understand as he's writing specifically now to first century Jews. Now, watch this, this word doulos. He, he introduces himself as a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This word, though, is doulos. Now, I want you to see, in most English translations, this, this word doulos is almost always translated as servant or bondservant, but the reality is doulos does not mean servant, it does not mean bondservant. And the reason I'm convinced most English translations kind of uh, maybe soften this word up a little bit is because what it really means is slave. I mean, he is literally introducing himself as James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most English translations uses the word servant or maybe bondservant. And I'm convinced the reason why is we all know that slavery has a very negative connotation in Western society as it should. But remember, if you're not thinking of like a first century Jew and you hear this word slavery, it means something completely different to me and you. While there was forced slavery in the ancient world, not every slave was forcibly made a slave. There are those that became slaves willingly, all right? So as we see this letter written specifically to the 12 tribes, Jews, here's what a first century Jewish follower of Jesus would have heard as James introduces himself as a doulos of God, a slave of God, a bond slave of God. They would have immediately gone to the Torah. Uh, they would have immediately gone to that Jewish um, books, the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 15, Exodus chapter 21. They would have immediately thought about this passage and associated being a doulos with this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Look at what it says. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. And you shall supply him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away for, from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, uh, you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever. Now, I want you to see something here. When we talk about a bond slave, this concept in the Old Testament that the Jews were familiar with, this is not forced servitude. Uh, this is not a forced slavery. This is something some would do willfully. Why? Because there was no filing chapter 11 back then for bankruptcy. 
If you were a man or a woman in bankruptcy, you had debts you could not pay, what were your options? Here's your option. This is how God chose to take care and provide for those who were otherwise in destitute poverty and bankruptcy. He would allow those in bankruptcy to sell themselves into the servitude of a wealthy family and serve them for a maximum of six years, at which time their debts would be paid off completely. And so they could serve a wealthy family for six years, maximum of six years, and at the end of six years, not only were their debts paid off fully, but they could walk away freely, and then he mandated those masters to send them away with provisions to ensure that they wouldn't have to go right back into debt. And I want you to see that happen historically in the ancient world. They were called bond slaves or bond servants. Now, what I want you to see is that occasionally, just like we read here, in Deuteronomy 15, occasionally in six years' time, they decided, I don't want to leave. Like, I love my master. I love his family. I've become a part of the family. His family's become part of my family. I know I could walk away, but honestly, I want to stay. In fact, I choose to stay. And what they would do then is they would take him to the doorpost of the home and they would take an awl or a nail and they would drive it through his ear into the doorpost of the home. Now, as 21st century Gentile believers, we think to ourselves when we look at these Old Testament rites and ceremonies and rituals of the ancient Hebrews, we think to ourselves, what was wrong with these people? Oh, why on earth would they do that? I mean, seriously, I mean, take a nail, drive it through the ear, drive it into the door. That's weird. But here's the deal. God has put his fingerprint all over the Old Testament. And with just a little cursory study, you begin to see the symbolism and the prophetic foreshadowing of all these rites and all these rituals of the ancient Hebrews. I mean, connect the dots with me. You have a nail that is thrust through the flesh, blood, scars, does any of this sound familiar? Yeah. And that nail was thrust through the door post of the home. You know what? Twice Jesus said, I am the door. You know what a door is? A door is a portal. A door is a way of passage. A door is a place you cross over from here to here. Jesus said, I am the door. And did you know in Leviticus chapter 8 that the priests were to take the blood of that sacrificial offering and put it on their ears? They were to consecrate their ears with the blood of that offering. You see, the ears has to do with hearing the word of God. And as a bond slave, it has to do with doing the word of God. Now you understand why James says, don't just be hearers, but be doers. Yes, you want to have ears consecrated to God, thrust through with that nail. But as a bond slave of God, we are to do, you see, the will of God. And all of that in some way is pictured in this doulos ceremony as he would permanently be scarred. A mark was placed on him, a mark that he was indeed a willful slave. When he could have walked away, he chose to stay. And you see, ultimately, sometimes this slave had been set free, but he chooses to stay because he loved his master and he loved his family. And you can begin to see why doulos ought to be a term that describes all of our Christian life because we were all bankrupt spiritually. We were bankrupt for eternity. We owed a price we could not pay, a debt we could not owe. But Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he was one of royalty. He's very, very wealthy. And you see, he went to the cross. He ransomed us, redeemed us. He purchased us. He pardoned us. And you begin to see why. 
James says, I am indeed a doulos of God. I was bankrupt spiritually. I had a price on my head I could not pay, but somebody came along and he paid it anyway. And yes, today I choose to stay. A willful slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't make you do a thing. He lets you make your own decision. You can stay or you can walk away. And that is why he would be known then as a bond slave because he was forever bonded to his master of his own free will. He was forever bonded to his master because he chose to not out of duty but out of desire. And you can see why the New Testament authors all describe themselves in this way. Five times the apostle Paul introduced himself as a doulos of God, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter said the same thing, hey doulos of God and of the Lord Lord Jesus Christ. James now says the same thing. I'm a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What would you say today? Can you say honestly today, I am a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that every single one of us in some capacity, if indeed you are a Christian, this ought to in some way be your definition. Phil Hopper, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Susie or Sally, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jim and John, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a bond slave of God, is the ultimate definition of what it really means to be a Christian. And let me tell you why this is so hard for us to comprehend in Western Christianity, of Western civilization, because we've all in some way been influenced with this prosperity theology, this hot tub religion. Jesus died to make me happy. It's the lollipop theology of our day, this watered-down, weak, anemic Christianity that Jesus is like my genie in a bottle, my rabbit's foot redeemer. Now, even if you don't believe that, we, we somehow have been conditioned kind of toward that, like Jesus is there to enhance my life. I mean, he's there to make my life better. And I want you to see how we have turned this completely on its head where sometimes we've lost true New Testament Christianity. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Yet we have a faith that's more self-enhancing than self-denying. He said, take up your cross. That has to do with a life of suffering and sacrificing, but we don't want to suffer anything. We don't want to have to sacrifice anything. You see, the New Testament writers and the early church understood that we are a doulos of God. You see, Jesus has paid the price that we owed when we were bankrupt spiritually. All we like sheep had gone astray. We'd all turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Romans 6, 23, the wage of sin is death. Yet Jesus came and paid a price that we owed. He paid a debt that we could not pay. And that is why now God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you understand the implication that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords? If he is indeed Lord, then where does that leave us? Now you begin to understand the implication of what it really means to be a Christian. Now some of you are thinking, Phil, I don't know if I like the idea of this. I mean, I like the other Jesus better. 
you know, where I still got to be a little bit in charge. A slave has no rights to his life. You understand that? When he chose to stay at the end of six years, he could have walked away. What he said is, no, I love my master. I love his family. His family's become my family, and I want to stay. When he chose to stay, he made a decision for life. They would drive that all through his ear, permanently marked by the master. Let me tell you something. Ephesians 4.30 says you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a mark. You have been marked by the master. And the implication, if Jesus is indeed Lord and master, then he has all rights to my life, doesn't he? He gets to rule my life. He gets to rule over me. Like, I don't get to rule my life at all, not even a little bit. A slave has no rights. I give up all my rights. Jesus gets all rights to my life. You know why he gets all rights to our life? Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are... Not your own. Everybody say, I am not my own. Yeah. Why am I not my own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We've been bought with the price. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. That means my body is not mine. These eyes are not mine. This mouth is not mine. These ears are not mine. This mind is not mine. I can't say whatever I want to. I can't look at whatever I want to. I can't listen to whatever I want to. I can't think whatever I want to. This body belongs to him. The spirit belongs to him. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. It all belongs to him. You see, Jesus Christ has a right to rule my life, and his rule in my life is always right. Now, some of you think, well, Phil, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. Why does Jesus have a right to rule my life? I mean, I want to be the captain of my own ship. Yes, I know you do. I do, too. I want to chart my own course. Yes, I know you do. Because there's a part of me that wants to, too, all right? I mean, we're going on this road trip, and I'd kind of like to, you know, be the driver. I want to be the driver, and uh, I kind of want to decide where I want to go. And uh, the destination I want to take, and yeah, I know you do. We all do. We, we all go through that. But I want you to see, there are three reasons why Jesus rightfully can lay claim to our life. Three reasons. You say, Phil, what are they? What are they? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> all right, number one is this. Why does Jesus have a right to lay claim to our life? Number one, because he died to purchase you. He died to purchase you. You see, 2,000 years ago, he went to the slave auction called Calvary. It was at that slave auction called Calvary that he died to purchase you. He died, you see, ultimately shedding his blood, the high price. We've been bought at a price. Romans 5 and verse 12, it says, for as by one man's sin, death entered the world, so death passed on all men, for all have sinned. But aren't you glad there's Romans 5 and verse 8, that God demonstrated his love for you, and that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He didn't wait for a little old lovable you to become more lovable to love you. He loved you even when you ain't lovable and you know you're not always lovable. Well, if you went home with me, you know I wouldn't either. Okay, let's just tell the truth. Hey, we've all sinned. Every single one of us sinned and that sin demands a penalty. 
And the wage of sin is death. Somebody had to pay for that sin because it was man's sin that brought down the curse of sin on all men. It had to be the death of an innocent man to reverse the curse of sin for all men. The problem is all men had sinned. So God himself became a man to become our sacrificial lamb. He was holiness with human hands and he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It was on the cross that Jesus traded places with us. He took the penalty we deserve when he poured out his life on Calvary all of our sin was placed on him and the sinless perfection of him was placed on us so that now God has exonerated us of sin he looks at us and says innocent because Jesus went to the cross as though he was guilty and life is full of paradoxes, the Christian life full of paradox. Paradox number one, Jesus became a slave to men to set men free from the slavery of sin. See, you're a slave whether you know it or not. You have a master already whether you know it or not. Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You're either gonna be a slave to sin or you will be a slave to him. Now he's a kind taskmaster. He's not a cruel taskmaster. You want to know about a cruel taskmaster? Sin is a cruel taskmaster. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. It is a hard taskmaster. And right now you're wearing a set of chains, though invisible, they're still very real, a very real set of chains. You're either wearing the chains of sin or you are wearing the chains of him. And the only way that you get free from the chains of sin is when you put on the chains that belong to him. You see, Jesus traded places with us. He became enslaved to men so that you and I can be set free from the slavery of sin. He said, if the son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He said, the Spirit of God has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. He wants to set you free. You say, I don't know if I want to be a slave. Guess what? Jesus became a slave willfully. He became a doulos. For Philippians 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, think like Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a doulos. That word is not bondservant, it is slave. He became a slave and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the point of death, even the death of the cross. The sinless son of God came in the likeness of the sons of men so that sons of men could be forgiven of their sin and become like him. He traded places with every single one of us. The one that was royalty from eternity came fashioned as humanity so that he could pour out his blood at Calvary. You see, he died to purchase you, but he rose to pardon you. You see, there is no such thing as a dead savior. No such thing as a dead redeemer. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, there wouldn't be any Christians because it's built on the resurrection. You see, the reality is we don't worship Jesus and follow him merely because he died. We worship and follow him because he rose from the dead. He is alive. He's alive. He rose from the dead. Jesus lives. He lives. 
And James became a believer because of this fact. Did you know that John chapter 7 tells us that James, along with Jesus' other half-brothers, they didn't believe in Jesus initially as the Messiah. They were not followers of Jesus initially. I mean, think how hard this would have been for their brother, half-brothers of Jesus, growing up in the same house, and Jesus is your sibling. You talk about sibling rivalry. And you talk about, listen, Jesus, I know your mama's favorite. <laughs> it's like you have this perfect older brother. You're always getting compared to your older brother. How hard was that for James, right? And then you, you have a brother, you have a sister. Just imagine for a moment, you grow up and your brother announces he's God. <laughs> oh, come on, God, really, God, you're the Messiah, right? I mean, that was their attitude. They weren't believing, gee, this is my brother. He's not the Messiah. But something happened in this man's life. James suddenly became a believer where now he's saying, James, yes, I'm the half-brother of Jesus, but I'm more than merely his half-brother. I have become a slave of my half-brother, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He now calls his half-brother Lord Something happened in his life that changed him radically forever. And I would suggest the only thing that could have changed him is what he saw. Before Jesus was crucified, he was not a believer. He saw his brother die, but three days later, he saw him alive. And he radically transformed his life. And friends, if Jesus really did come out of the grave, it ought to change everything. If Jesus really did come out of the grave, then he is the rightful king over my life. He is the rightful master over my life. He has a right to rule my life, and his rule in my life is always right. The only response for any of us ought to be, Jesus, you are my king, my master. You're more than my savior. You are my Lord. I give you all rights to my life. That's the only response. He's worthy of all of my life because he gave all of his. He rose from the dead, and he's alive today. You see, he died to purchase you. He rose to pardon you, and he lives today to possess you. Now, here's the reality. To be set free by Christ, you must become a slave of Christ. See, there's the paradox. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. Watch this. Come unto me, all you that weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, when you yoke yourself to Jesus Christ, you're chained to him, a slave to him. He says, listen, I'm not a cruel taskmaster. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'll never ask more from you than you can handle. I'll never ask you to give more than you can give. I'm gonna carry that cross with you. You're not gonna carry it alone. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We live in a society that's gone deeper and deeper into captivity. You know why? Because we've decided as a society, we don't want that old biblical morality. We, we don't want that Bible. It's outdated. It's antiquated. Why? We ought to be able to sleep with whoever we want to. We ought to be able to look at whatever we want to. We ought to be able to do whatever we want to. Yeah, we're free. We're enlightened, aren't we? Really? 
Did you know that we are the most addicted generation in the history of our nation? That's freedom, isn't it? We have more addiction than any generation before us, more depression than any generation before us. Oh, we're free from God, though. We're, we're free of all that ancient, antiquated stuff. I mean, all that superstition religion. You see the paradox? We've set ourselves free from God's authority so that now we're becoming increasingly a nation in captivity. Well, I can look at pornography. What's the big deal, Phil? Come on, I'm a grown man. I'll go look at whatever I want to. Go ahead. Go ahead. Watch what it'll do to your family. Watch what it'll do to your marriage. Go ahead. Well, I can sleep with whoever I want to. I mean, honestly, who's God or anybody? Tell me what to do. One out of four teenagers have an STD. Oh, but we're free, aren't we? Do you see the paradox here? You want to be free from God, then you're going to be a slave. A slave to a cruel taskmaster. That's what sin is. To be set free by Christ, you must become a slave to Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. But the degree you submit to his authority is the degree you will live with his liberty. I am free. I can stand before you today not boasting at all in me because I'm nothing. I am nobody. I'm telling you, if it were not for Jesus, I would be a man in addiction. I would be a man of all types of dysfunction. I know my heart that beats inside of me. Apart from Jesus, I don't know where I would be. I'm not better than anybody, but I can tell you today, honestly, I am free. Man, I'm free. It's good. You know why? Because years ago, I surrendered completely, wholeheartedly to Christ's authority. I give up all rights to my life. And that's the abundant life. You're gonna be a slave to something. You're gonna be a slave to somebody. You simply choose. Here's the reality. Jesus died to purchase you. He rose to pardon you. Now he lives to possess you. You see, the spirit of Christ lives in you as a child of God, but he doesn't just wanna live in you. He wants to live through you. And when you surrender completely, I will promise you, now it's not the natural you. Now it becomes the supernatural you the things you couldn't have done before, the things you would have never said before, the places you would have never gone before, all of a sudden you're doing things that you couldn't do in the natural because it's Jesus in you, not you, but Christ in you. Colossians 1:27. the hope of glory. Today is the day to choose what chains will you wear. You will wear the chains of sin and Satan or you will wear the chains of the Savior. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Yes, you will serve a master. You simply choose to choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Paradox number three, slavery from God means slavery to Satan. But freedom from Satan means slavery to God. Would you bow with me? Jesus, I pray, God in heaven, for every person in this place. that every person here today would choose carefully, choose wisely, whom they will serve. One of two masters.
You see, sweet friends, we're all doulos. A willful slave of our own free will. A doulos of Satan or a doulos of God. A slave to sin or a slave to the Savior. You choose your chains. One promises life abundantly, the other promises a life of captivity. God in heaven, I pray the Spirit of God would move in our hearts, open our eyes, that each of us would surrender all rights to our life as a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are worthy, precious Savior, Son of God. Be glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you give him glory with me today? Praise him, would you? Love y'all so much. Well, hey, as we conclude this time, every time we open up the word of God, it demands a response. And I just got back home on a, from a big road trip with my family and we had trashed out the minivan, y'all. I've got three little kids, and it was just Cheerios and fries everywhere. And so it's my job as the daddy to go in and clean out the trash. And it doesn't affect the status my kids have with me because they had trash in the vehicle. And some of you, maybe you've brought in here some trash this morning. Maybe that was a fight you had with your spouse this week. Maybe that was something that Pastor Phil mentioned from the stage. And we want to give you the opportunity to come and grab one of these men or women by the hand and say, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's all of me, warts and all. Here's my trash. And you confess your sin to one another. And then we would pray and invite Christ to begin to heal you. One of the earlier services before I got off the stage, a brother came down and said, hey, here's my trash. And he's beginning to confess his sin. Maybe that's you this morning. And we want you to be faithful to respond and how Christ is prompting you in this moment. Well, hey, we're doing a thing called The Well at 4.30 but we're getting back into the book of Revelation at the core. We would love for you to swing by if you wanna dive into uh, the study of the book of Revelation. And then last but not least, uh, you guys stop by the story room. We would love to meet you, have a conversation with you, and grab a purple bracelet with a teenager's name on it and lift them up to Christ. You guys have an incredible rest of the day and an incredible week of worship. See you soon.